Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. All right, everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen, and I am your host. I am joined today by Ms. Jody Phillips. Jody, how you doing? I am doing great. So we work together. Most of our listeners probably know that. You've been a host on the podcast when we had... Michael Gormley. Michael Gormley. When we had Michael on, you uh, helped with that with that conversation. But you get to be the star. You're the guest today. We're going to talk a little bit about youth, young people, mm-hmm. wide age group. But this episode is for anybody who knows a young person who has ever been a young person, who will someday be a young person. Okay, so (laughs) anyway, if you know a young person and you love them and you care about them and you're just paying attention to the general trends of young people disaffiliating from the the faith, uh, I think this episode is going to be a blessing for you. As always, as we get started here, I want you to know the background of the folks that join us in these conversations, Jody. Tell us a little about your your faith journey. Yeah, so it was kind of a slow burn for me. Um, I didn't grow up Catholic, but I grew up in a family that we went to church every Sunday. And so I was never not in relationship with Jesus, or it, it was never something I didn't believe, but had some moments of encounter with the Lord through high school, went to some group work camp mission trips. And then it was my junior year of high school when I made a firm decision to follow Christ and really enter into a deeper relationship with Him. What was the context of that? I mean, I think that's, that is a growing experience, but just kind of walk the listeners through. You came to this moment where you're in high school, and we're talking about young people today. You're explicitly deciding to entrust yourself to the Lord. What what happened there? It was unmentored, which is different from what we're going to talk about today, yeah. but I had been reading testimonies. Like, you remember the Chicken Soup for the Soul books? It was a different version of something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, And it was basically testimonies of other teenagers who had encountered the Lord and had made decisions. And their encounters with the Lord was inspiring to me. And, And I don't remember an exact moment other than this deepening sense of, I want to be like them over kind of a course of that winter in my junior year of high school. Wow. So it was almost a communal thing, except for the community was mediated by these written testimonies. What happened after that? I think one of the the biggest difficulties for me is that even though I was a part of a youth ministry, no one walked with me in those early discipleship phases. So I didn't Mm -hmm. really know how to pray. I didn't really understand the nature of sin. I didn't really understand what it meant other than like, oh, well, Christians don't do this, and now I can't do those things. And so I had rules, but no real understanding of how to walk in it. And so Wait, when so I— So you were Catholic as a young person. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just teasing. Sorry. So, it's just, it's just right. not an uncommon experience, what you're articulating. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. It's basically all the same. So I went to college and quickly— found myself just like most college kids, um, kind of enticed by all the things of college. But I, praise the Lord, um, had another encounter with the Lord where he kind of called me out of that sin and into the relationship of some Campus Crusade for Christ missionaries Mm -hmm. who walked with me for the next few years. And 
taught me how to pray, um, drove me into mission, a desire to share the gospel with my peers. I was in a sorority, and so that was one of the the places I felt most particularly called. Meaning as a mission field. Yeah, as a yeah. mission field. So I stayed in my sorority, and I, I tried mostly unsuccessfully to share Christ with them. Planted seeds, you know, but it was mm-hmm. that was my mission field, and that really between that and the degree, I, I majored in philosophy, so I had this kind of communal and intellectual bent that helped me to enter the Catholic faith when I was twenty four. So both those things combined kind of just opened me up to to make a firmer decision of faith. And for context, you were at University of Nebraska Kearney, yep. studying philosophy. Yep. Which some people, I mean, I can imagine some of our listeners' eyebrows going up. It's like, because, you know, philosophy is such a deeply embraced, uh, loved field uh, for many faithful Catholics. And so to study that outside of the context, philosophy that is, outside of the context of the church, sometimes, you know, raises suspicion. And certainly you can wander into unhelpful but it was a blessing for you. It helped lead you to the Lord and the church. There's a number of us who have found our way to the Catholic faith because we studied St. Thomas Aquinas and G.K. Chesterton and the great books, very similar to some of the great Catholic philosophy programs. We we mm-hmm. had that kind of program in Kearney. So I came into the church with two other philosophy majors, actually. Um, and we kind of individually and together found our way into the church. And then... And then... I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville and studied theology. Which felt just like... Just like Carney. Just like Carney. No, <laughs> I, we, we laugh because we, we joke about this. Like the culture shock from going through, you know, going from not Catholic, public university to Franciscan, you just right in the deep end, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right into it. Yeah. Yeah. I found my house off Craigslist and lived with people I'd never met, which is exactly what you want to do in Steubenville, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it wasn't just people from town. There were people who went to the university. They were, but okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, if, you, if you've been to Steubenville and met people not from the university, that could be considered a little reckless. Okay, so here you are now all grown up working for the Archdiocese of Omaha. So glad you're here. Tell us a little bit about your day job. Yeah, so primarily I get the joy of working with our youth ministry leaders and our parish religious education leaders. So helping them as they support families and youth and uh, their walk with Christ. Well, and that's what we want to talk about today. Jody, give us a little bit of an idea of the landscape of teen evangelization, discipleship, the faith of young people today? We are in kind of a new generation where most of what we're talking about in our religious education and our youth ministry programs, they're Generation Z, or sometimes you'll hear them called the iGen because they really like their phones. Um, And they're mostly born between the ages of 95, 96, um, and 2010, which is kind of a short stretch, but yeah, those are pretty much all of our school kids right now is what you, where you're going to find them. They're just entering the workforce. They are kids who have been really affected by kind of a hard time. If you imagine most of them at the beginning stages, they were turning four and five at the time of 9-11. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the signifying time of their generation. Yeah. A lot of them have memories of the early economic crisis of 2008, a lot of the racial issues of the last decade, um, decade and a half. And of course, most of them graduating either high school or college in the midst of a global pandemic. So it's yeah. been a generation of a lot of strife. They're also a generation that has 
they're the first digital native generation. So I'm a millennial. I'm on the kind of upper end of the millennials. We got a computer when I was in elementary school, and I remember having to take classes to type. Um, (laughs) This generation has never had to do that. They've just always had it in front of them. They've been swiping since they were toddlers. Yeah. My nephew, when he was 10, would teach me how to do things on my iPhone. And let me tell you, that's a little embarrassing. One of the things that I found really instructive is some recent studies that show that the the time the time of life the season where young people are making decisions about faith is moving younger and younger talk a little bit about that yeah so in 2018 St Mary's Press uh, partnered up with Kara and they did a study on disaffiliation within Catholic youth mm-hmm. and and they found that um, of Catholic young people who disaffiliated from the faith. It was mostly happening between the ages of 10 and 20, with the median age being 13. And of those people who are disaffiliated, over a third of them have no religious affiliation at all. About 9 or 10% of them have gone to some non-Protestant Christian affiliation. Some are atheists or agnostic, about 15% of, of them. So ultimately, they're there are none, there's nothing, or they've mm-hmm. just, or they've totally um, left the Catholic faith and decided, I want nothing to do with the Lord. Other studies have shown, even, even of the kids that we have kept through high school, there's been some other studies that have shown that roughly about 50% of those students who graduate high school as a practicing Catholic about 50% of them are no longer practicing after their first year of college. So we've we've lost about half of them. Which sadly corresponds perfectly you know, to my experience years and years and years uh, with, with campus ministry. Even the kids that seem to manage to preserve their faith in high school, which is rare, statistically very rare to preserve your faith in high school, just because that happens is no, no guarantee that they're going to make it in college. Absolutely, yeah. If you have teens in high school or if you're a high school teacher or a coach or anything like that, chances are the young people that you're interacting with have already made a decision. They've made some sort of kind of fundamental decision about, do I think this is legit before you've had access to them, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're making these decisions in junior high. And so by the time they get to a theology class in high school or maybe a youth ministry, they've already kind of made, they've already kind of made their decision. And you can deepen that, and not that those decisions can't be reversed, but they've already made a decision there. I think that's a there's just a huge reality shift because I think sometimes we put pressure on ourselves imagining that we can persuade or or maybe living in the illusion that it's an open question for youth that are 13 and above. And for most of them, they've already made some sort of decision. Yeah. So I, I think we see that all the time, particularly, you know, if it's if it's the parish youth ministry, we're probably not seeing those kids anymore. Right. Um, it, it's possible their parents are, are encouraging them to come to youth ministry, but a lot of times there's more autonomy there. You know, a lot of them have stopped forcing their kids. Uh, but we see it a lot more often in our schools where the kids have actively said, I'm no longer Catholic. They're still there. They're still in the school, right. but they have firmly decided, I'm not in this church, even mm-hmm. though I'm in this church. Are, are there any studies that give us an idea of the percentage of youth that would claim a particular religious affiliation, that would claim to be Christian? The Going, Going, Gone study is the one from St. Mary's Press and Kara. 
you can also find a lot of really good studies on Barna, Barna Research. They've mm-hmm. uh, done some of the studies that I've talked about with 50% leaving, or they would actually say 60 to 65% are leaving by the time they reach college. I think Barna is one of the best for research on mm-hmm. particularly disaffiliation and where yeah. youth are at in this generation. So um, just Google Barna. Almost all these studies have been done pre-COVID. What has COVID done for youth faith What are the early indications of the effect that it seems to be having? It's going to be interesting to see because, you know, here in Omaha, we'll have the dispensation lifting here in about a week and a half at Pentecost, but really that's the end of a school year. And so for youth ministry efforts, if those students aren't signed up to do a lot of the retreats and things over the summer, we we won't see many of them again until next fall. So what you're facing is a student that might have dropped off around the time of their confirmation, a 14-year-old, they were an Mm -hmm. eighth grader, hasn't been a part of youth ministry for their entire freshman year of high school, uh, Mm -hmm. most likely. Because what we've seen is as digitally friendly as this generation is, they don't like Zoom. Last year, so many efforts went into youth ministry doing trying to do Zoom gatherings, and Zoom gatherings for youth ministry just kind of fell flat because they spent their whole days in Zoom. Because if they were yeah. doing school digitally and they were doing choir digitally and they were doing dance practice digitally and everything was through Zoom, and then when it came to time to do youth ministry, there was no way they wanted to just do done. it. Yeah. And then when things started to be able to happen a little bit in person, kids did want to come back in person, but the, of course there's precautions to take, right? So mm-hmm. some parents weren't as comfortable and some teens weren't as comfortable because yeah. some some other things to note, Gen- Generation Z is, is one of the more socially aware generations we've ever seen. So they're one of the more likely to say like, no, this isn't, this isn't safe for, and to just mm-hmm. be aware of that. So for many of them, we've lost their entire freshman year. So even the ministries that have been running ministry all year, they've just shrunk. So mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to say where the numbers are going to be. Um, there's a number of things that have changed. Just kind of catch people up on on the history of what kind of youth ministry is like, meaning like youth ministry in the broadest sense, efforts by anyone, school, parish, families to to reach young people. So I look at my own youth ministry experience, uh, and uh, yeah, it wasn't Catholic, but it was pretty much the same as what most of my Catholic peers were experiencing. Um, I went to youth group on Wednesday night and was kind of in a leadership position, and we would do lock-ins a couple of times a year. We would have a summer mission project, and then basically on Wednesday we would sit and gab about a lot of nothing. And on Sundays, we would have Sunday school. Uh, and and I think that was kind of the norm for the generation and, and just kind of the time being. And Sunday school was kind of a... Uh a diving into the faith. It was a little it was more bit catechetical. Uh, yeah, kind of catechetical. And Wednesday was mostly just about being social. And it was successful in as much as we came. When I look back at my youth group, now all of these years later, I don't think any of them are, are very active in their faith. Obviously, mm-hmm. n- none of them are Catholic, but I would say probably only a couple of them are still pretty active participants in the church because right. nothing was really sticking in that. But I'd say that was probably the active model of the time is you come and you do something social, but then you have these other kind of components of mm-hmm. ministry, right? <clears throat> and it was very program heavy, which was was very effective for some youth ministries, right? We we mm-hmm. do we do this event and this event fits this need and we do this event and this event fits this need. So for example, and some of these events still go on. You mentioned tech, which is mm-hmm. an incredible 
an incredible retreat based off the Paschal Mystery of Christ. It's meant to be a moment of conversion, and it's beautiful. You know, we still do the Steubenville uh, retreat or Steubenville conference, which is meant to be a beautiful encounter with the Lord and lead people to Christ. And these things are can be very effective. And I look at some of the other youth ministry programs that were really large here. So St. James Catholic Church had one of the mm-hmm. largest youth ministries of the last 20 years here. And, and over the last five to 10 years has kind of dwindled. Um, and it's, it's hard to say exactly why, but we've seen a lot of vocations come out of that ministry and so you look at St. Elizabeth Ann, and they had this really vibrant youth ministry where, I mean, a ton of vocations came out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just a lot of people are still active in the faith. And I think actually a lot of what you saw at St. Elizabeth Ann is, is that there mm-hmm. were leaders and volunteers and adults that were walking with those youth even 15 years ago. Um, and that's what made that ministry fruitful. There's been a shift from we do programs, we do mm-hmm. components. Oh, here we hit service. Here we hit liturgy. Here we hit kind of just all these different elements Mm -hmm. to we walk with kids kind of wherever they are and we build a community and and we connect people with one another and then ultimately to a higher relationship, which is with the Lord. For lack of of another name, we've been calling kind of like that walking with approach a discipleship model. Maybe contrast that a little bit. Like, you know, what is a discipleship model and what is what is it not some of the superficial stereotypes about what it is yeah i think one oftentimes when we talk about a discipleship model of youth ministry people think we mean only small groups mm-hmm. small groups are key because it's it, really the heart of a discipleship model of youth ministry is one, connecting students and teens to one another, because mm-hmm. this is just the loneliest generation, because <laughs> yeah. um, they're they're connected to their to their cell phones all of the time. But also connecting them to other adults in a real fruitful way. But it's not just small groups, because really we want to build a pathway for teens to build relationships when they don't really have a trust for the church, right? So it's it's all of those initial steps there, and we want to have opportunities for them to hear the gospel, and then we want. To have those opportunities for them to walk in discipleship and to be mentored in it. And all of that takes a lot of time really walking with our leaders and our mm-hmm. and our families and our adults. Uh, that's really what's at the heart of it, I would say, is it's it's our adults are at the heart of a discipleship model of youth ministry. But it's not just small groups, it's it's a whole path and and drawing those groups together in large events and doing the fun things because teens are squirrely. And sometimes they just stare at you <laughs> when oh you're gosh. doing a small group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's it's like all the joys of the two extremes. Just like I can't get them to be quiet and just focus. <laughs> and now that I've asked a meaningful question, I can't get them to speak. Yeah, they're <laughs> like just both extremes. Staring at me. <laughs> same same night. Okay, so number one, it's not just small groups. Yep. Like what else? Talk a little bit yeah. about like what it means, what it's not. Yeah, it's also not assuming that our teenagers are disciples. We've talked about this a little bit, but because we're we're offering kids a way to enter into a relationship with the Lord. So I didn't enter into a firm relationship with the Lord till I was 16. Mm-hmm. And I went to church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school every Sunday. And I knew my stuff. I journaled about Jesus. And I would say I was probably pretty advanced, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't make a decision until I was 16. Yeah. We can't assume just because a 13-year-old has received the sacrament of confirmation that they are actually a disciple. In fact, the studies show us they're probably not. What do you mean by just like, what is a disciple? 
you have a little deeper, more, I think, accurate, fundamental definition of what it means to be a disciple. Break that out a little bit. I think it looks a little bit different in a teenager than an adult. Sure. <laughs> because as we know, uh, brain development is is happening later and later, and, and socially and emotionally, they're awkward, and they stare at you, and they're squirrely, all the things we already said. The neuroscience is showing that the just our society, the way we're structured, habits, technology, whatever, that young people's brains are developing more slowly than they did, you know, decades, a a century ago, which is why your great-grandfather was a full man at 18 years old. Even since 1980, I think the studies have shown that it's, uh, you could say a 19, 20-year-old was a full adult, and now it's about 25. Just in the last 40 years, we've seen that much of a shift. So socially and emotionally, they're, they're quite a bit less mature, um, even than my own generation. I think is it nice as a millennial to be able to say not as mature as us. I it just... is so good. <laughs> uh, but I, but I think the same principles apply, right? That what does it actually mean? I've made a decision to follow Christ. So I've dropped my nets, right? Yeah. And then I enter into the stages of beginning discipleship and into, into real relationship with the Lord. Well, a beginning disciple is is learning to get rid of sin in their life, mm-hmm. and they're learning to grow in the habits of prayer. Now, a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, so again, if you spend much time around a 14 or 15-year-old, you've noticed they have a hard time talking to most human beings. Right. Conversation with any <laughs> person, no less a divine one, isn't generally it's a, a challenge. Suit. Yeah. It's a challenge. But it's not impossible, and 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 yeah. and so part of walking with with a young person is one, loving them in that challenge, mm-hmm. and then showing them some of the the skills and tricks, and really just helping them to learn to hear the voice of the Lord and to have a conversation with the Lord. So it's so a young disciple is one freeing themselves from some of the habits of sin, which. Are are really difficult to do, and especially in this culture, and yeah. and um, and they're learning how to talk with the Lord, even though that's difficult. And a disciple who's growing beyond that, again, this is a. The, I I think I mentioned this earlier. This generation is one of the most socially conscious generations that mm-hmm. we've ever had. So when we talk about for sometimes for for those of us who are a little bit older, that shift to my relationship with Jesus is just about me. Mm-hmm. I think this generation, my relationship with Jesus is not just about me, and I care about the needs of others, and I want other people to have something good, is going to come easier, right? Right. There's a communal sensitivity, which is a foundation for a missional sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Uh, They start with a higher awareness of others. Absolutely. Yeah, and the needs and the injustices and, and all of those things that have a real place in the gospel. Working with uh, young people, particularly, you know, as in college ministry, working with young men, uh, one of the tools that I found just revolutionarily tra- transforming was the ancient practice of Lexio Divina, divine reading. But w- what was different was I couldn't give it to them as like a homework assignment and like, hey, try this and here, here's your verses and I'll see. We had to do it together. And what was uh, even to, you know, to, to fine tune this e- even more, when we did it together interspersed with journaling, 
Um, some, you know, some of our listeners are familiar with the RAP method of doing Lexio Divina, W-R-A-P, write, reflect, apply, pray. When we did that and we involved more of their senses and we helped slow down and focus the mind, which again, I just needed because I, I, I needed something to just about the time I'd be ready to space off. I'd be at the point where I was interspersing that, that journaling uh, into my prayer young people can learn how to pray. And when they grab on and when they find something, as you talk about that communal sensitivity, they, they can't help but share it with their friends. Because um, they're, despite the loneliness and the difficulty with conversation and isolation, they know at a very uh, deep level that when they find something good, they can't just keep it to themselves. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I you know, I used to lead a small group at one of our high schools here in town, and uh, Lexio Divina rap was one of the most effective ways to to engage with them. And they didn't always share with us what they were doing, but they were journaling and they were writing and they were participating. They were a more introverted group of girls, and so vocalizing all of that would have been difficult. But they they showed up every week, and they they participated by writing down what they were praying, and they. Yeah, it was just really beautiful to see what a young disciple can do. Process of growth and maturity in a disciple. I mean, oftentimes we're, we're setting the bar way too low. <clears throat> I love there's a, a very well-known uh, catechist that used to kind of quip, don't set your sights on purgatory. Because you know what happens if you miss uh, <laughs> in playing hell? And similarly, sometimes I think in, in youth ministry, we set our sights, just, we just want to keep young people safe. Mm-hmm. Just want to keep them in the church. I just want to keep them behaving well. And that's the wrong goal. Because you know what happens when you miss? You totally lose them. If we set our sights on actually helping them become fully mature disciples of Jesus Christ, missionary disciples who live and radiate and share their faith with others, is it possible for a young person one, to live as a disciple, but then two, to live as a missionary disciple. I think it is. And I again, I think it looks different, um, but I, I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years ago, we had this event called Archa Maha Unite, where we uh, drew a ton of people across the Archa Maha area together, um, the Archdiocese of Omaha together. And part of that event was a youth portion where we gathered some leaders from across the archdiocese to share their testimonies and just kind of help make the event fun. Yeah, there was a track for adults and youth and little kids and... Yep. So Beth Carlson, who also works here for the Archdiocese, she and I together put together this youth leadership team, um, which was a ton of fun, by the way, because we don't always actually get to hang out with teenagers. Yeah. Um, and we are basically are teenagers. So uh, it's... <laughs> Speaking of delayed development. <laughs> but we we got to hang out with these eight, eight kids from across the Archdiocese. And, and a couple of them really stood out to me. One in particular, um, his name's Patrick Fayad. He's a parishioner of Christ the King, Paris. And a student from Mount Michael, raised in just a really healthy, holy Catholic family. I've heard stories of his siblings that kind of just bear the mark of, oh, like you were parented very well, mm. but not without 
normal teenager stuff that kind of popped in there. And so I think through the investment of his parents, the investment of his parish and the investment of his school, mm-hmm. uh, went through, through a conversion. Um, and particularly through at a Steubenville conference came into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And then through their ongoing investment, he went to what's called Casting Nets, Transform Your World Evangelization Camp. Yeah. Um, and and so I guess some of our investment, we because we helped fund some students to go to that camp a few years ago. And the short version of that camp, it is a practical equipping for young people to live as missionaries to their peers. Yeah. So I kind of saw, I met him. I mean, I had only been with the Archdiocese for about a year at this point. And so I kind of met him after all that formation. So I can take no responsibility for it. But I I witnessed a young man who could articulate his testimony um, before he knew Christ and when he came into relationship with Christ and after he knew Christ. And he could tell it and he could, he could openly and without fear or hesitation, talk about the sins that had affected him Mm. and how the Lord had given him freedom on a stage in front of hundreds of his peers could do this. Mm. Um, But also a young man who was investing in his peers at school. You know, he he lived at Mount Michael and was praying with them, and he had a vision and a desire to reach them. And he's now a student at Benedictine, and he, unless he listens to this, probably doesn't know that I know uh, one of the young monks there who loves him and thinks he's a lot of fun. And I know some of the focus missionaries. Um, so that that path has continued, that he's still investing in his peers and growing as a young missionary disciple. But it started from just really being able to articulate his testimony and desiring yeah. to share it with others. It is not uncommon for us to struggle to articulate the difference that Christ has made in our life, uh, to pray, to all, all the things that, you know, this like, you know, at the time, 16, 17, 18-year-old young man is living. I mean, he's really living as a missionary disciple. It's beautiful. So I think he's kind of this this prime example, but sometimes it's, it's much smaller. So I think of um, this year at Scott Catholic High School, they... They were having a really hard time engaging their freshmen because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a pandemic going on and and it was <gasps> difficult. I know it's it's crazy. So what they did, they they noticed their upperclassmen who were involved in campus ministry had told them, "That's okay. We know. We know the freshmen, and they think we're cool. Yeah, right. Like we know them, and we know the Lord, and we can talk about the Lord with the underclassmen. And so they started eight small groups this Lent. They equipped and commissioned." eight juniors and seniors, one of which was also one of our leaders at Unite, Becky Franco, who's a parishioner at St. Stephen the Martyr. But these students, uh, they led their peers for six weeks during Lent, Lexio Divina, rap-style prayer. And so, you know, that was kind of short, let's equip you, let's get you out there. But that is a prime example of young missionaries who are walking with, with younger students and really beautiful. I find that astoundingly hopeful many of our parishes don't have eight disciples that are now on mission, gathering their peers around the word of God, creating a space and a community, like reaching out to those. And I get it. Like, you know, life is busy and this isn't what I was taught. And I, and I, I don't know where to begin, but it's not like the young, young people feel any, any differences? I mean, mm-hmm. every generation has its own challenge to, to living and receiving and sharing the faith. It's just incredibly hopeful, like what these young people are have been able to do. 
Yeah, it's scary no matter how old you are to to start a small group of your peers and try to walk with them and to teach them how to pray. That's terrifying. And I do it at my parish, you know, (laughs) and like it's scary every week. And yet the Lord walks with us as we walk with others. And he does that sometimes with a 17-year-old girl. Like it's beautiful. Okay. So Jody, let's just, what are some like really practical anything, like a characteristic, a practice, just some things, things to, um, things that kind of characterize this new way of reaching to young people. Again, new in the, the just like maybe tangent here, if I can justify that. For those of you, if you've noticed that like Jim seems to be kind of preoccupied with, you know, new models and methods. And I'm just going to go hide behind, you know, John Paul II on that. Uh, when John Paul II talked about the new evangelization uh, God bless, I think it was the bishops of Latin America or the Car- Caribbean. I don't know who it was, but you know, they're like, Holy Father, what do you mean new evangelization? Like, what's new? And what John Paul II said is it's new in its ardor, new in its expression, and new in its methods. That is, we've been given this commission to evangelize, but there is something particular about our call to evangelize in this day and age that is new. You know, new passion, new expressions, but also new methods. Give us a, a technique, tool, characteristic of the approaches that we ought to lean into for reaching young people now. First and foremost, it's to invest in your adults. Because, because what we're talking about with, with kids is, as I just mentioned, like really for every teenager, they need five practicing adults mm-hmm. to walk with them over the course of their young adulthood. Um, so like... There's a book called Sticky Faith, and they tell the story of this kid who tells his mom one day, like, I will never not believe in Jesus. I will never not believe in Jesus. And what was it? It was because he could point to Jim. He could point to Brad and Mike and all of these men who Mm -hmm. were walking with Jesus. Like, well, I can do that if I have all these examples in front of me and all these people who have done it with me. The primary people, of course, being the parents. So let's start by investing in parents if we're not doing that yet. And then let's invest in other leaders because, you know, the the old adage, it takes a village is actually quite true. (laughs) You're a parent. Yeah. And if I can add the the personal (laughs) testimony on that, raising kids, trying to raise kids in the faith today can be overwhelming and and very lonely. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a professional missionary for cry, for crying out loud. Like I do this stuff for a living, did it for almost 20 years. I, I mean, my wife and I, Kim and I have really intentionally, you know, that same book, the study, Sticky Faith, we've intentionally leaned into. So each of our children, um, particularly as they get to their junior high teenage years, we intentionally help foster relationships with other caring adults. And we invite those adults in and we commission them. We're like, hey, I want you to, to be present to the life of my son. I, I want you to. Um, and, and so sometimes those are you know more formal roles, like a confirmation sponsor or something like that. But often it's just a, a coach or someone who is living an authentic life of faith that I, I invite and call alongside. I've been really, really blessed. So many folks who often show up as guests on this podcast, Craig Joring, Danny Ledger, others that we always called alongside uh, our kids um, and invited them to take roles in, in their lives. Yeah, and several of them, right? Because 
it, again, it, yeah. it, it starts- we're, we're shooting for five each. Yeah, right? Because it, it starts with the parents. Like, you are two of them. But I don't, I don't know about you, but when I was 16, I very much did not want to be like my mother. <laughs> and now I needed my mother to walk with me and to love me and to be an example of Christ. And so that's why she's, she's the first and most important. But I also needed yeah. several other people to walk with me. And as I look through my own journey, there are all of those people who walked mm-hmm. with me. So it, it starts with the adults. And so that's why... Um, it can't just be one youth minister in your parish doing all of the work. Your youth ministry will be incredibly small if that's what you're what you're doing. But if you've got lots of adults, then it can thrive. And and that never worked. I mean, the, sometimes it looks that way because mm-hmm. you you get this rock star young person and they're twenty something and they're fun. But youth ministries that are fruitful and sustainable, when you scratch below the surface, you find this whole community of adults, parents that have rallied around these young people. And it's and then they can actually handle the transition of a youth minister who, God willing, you know, falls in love and gets married or moves on to another role or goes off to the seminary. And that's not the end of the world for your youth ministry because it wasn't really all on them anyway. Jody, who's, whose responsibility is it? The parish, the youth ministers, how does that work? It's both, right? It's the parents are the primary educators and the primary evangelists, but like I said, they they cannot do it alone. And mm-hmm. so it's the parish has the primary place for evangelization. I'm not talking about a building when I say the parish as the uh, primary place. It's the people of the parish. It's the community. It's it's this family partnering with this family partnering, you know, with this family. Now, parish, if you are looking at your parents and you're saying, our parents can't do this, then your first move should be to equip your parents uh, to, to, to be the primary evangelist they were meant to be and to walk with them. Parents, if you're looking at your parish and you're saying, my parish can't come alongside me, then find another set of parents who are in the parish. You are the parish, (laughs) Be the parish. Yeah. I, I would just echo that for the parish leaders who, who are listening. One of the greatest services you can offer us is just by helping to connect us to other parents who care. You can identify if you're a teacher, a principal, pastor, youth leader, whatever. You can identify pretty quickly the, the families that have a like desire, a desire to, to draw their, their kids uh, to the faith. Helping to connect them oftentimes, especially now in a COVID, God willing soon kind of post-COVID reality, if all you do is help connect us, that is no small service. Providing the introduction to those places, spaces, trusted resources that can help equip parents. Just those two things alone are huge services that a parish community can offer. Uh, what else, Jody? So the second thing I would say, we, we tend to think that doubt is toxic to faith. Doubt is not mm. toxic to faith. Unexpressed doubt is toxic to faith. So, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Say that again. <laughs> doubt is not toxic to faith. Unexpressed doubt is toxic to faith. I'm <laughs> laughing at Jim because I stole this quote from him and he's acting like it's mind blowing. <laughs> I just want to make sure everybody listening gets it. It's so good. Good stuff. <laughs> so there's um, in this study from from Going Going Gone uh, that I've been mentioning a couple times. They talk about 
why why are kids leaving between the ages of 10 and 20 why are they mm-hmm. leaving at 13 and it's because it's not because they don't believe in Jesus or actually they don't believe in his teachings it's because they believe what organized religion or the catholic church teaches is incompatible with the teachings of Christ which means that at some point ouch <laughs> right at some point they doubted what the church had to say about Jesus mm-hmm. and they either didn't ask the question or didn't feel safe to ask the question, or they actually asked and someone shoved them away. So we talk about this generation, right? And this is a generation that cares about healthcare and education and the economy and racial equity and and gender issues and all of these things that the church sometimes is ready to answer and sometimes it's more nuanced, but like Jesus wants to go there with them. Yeah. Like, and we want to go there with them. So if they have a question Let's go there with them and let's let's explore the issue because because what the church teaches is not incompatible with what Jesus has to say. In fact, it it is what Jesus has to say. Yeah. Um, but if we're not actually willing to go there with them, then we're not being the face of Christ. I love the way you said that. Like Jesus wants to go there with them. I know there's people listening who are like, yeah, but it's not that I don't want to go there. It's just I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can answer those questions. And especially, you know, if you've got kids that, uh, you know, like they're like, they're, they're Googling and, and, and uh, YouTubing their way uh, through atheist resources that are fostering and bolstering their skepticism. Like, oh crap, I feel totally inadequate to answer that. Like, what do you, what do you do there? The first is, is that's okay. <laughs> when yeah. a teenager is asking you the question, rarely are they actually looking for the answer. There's always a question behind the question. Yes. Talk more about that. Yeah. So, well, what does the church say about this? You know, really there's something at the heart of that. And, and probably it comes back to like, if I am struggling with this issue, mm-hmm. would Jesus still love me? If I am struggling with this issue, do you still love me? And just there's always questions behind these things. And so just the fact that you're willing to say, I don't know, but let's let's find out, or I don't know, but I love you, like Mm -hmm. in and of itself is an answer to a deeper question. And our willingness to go there answers the deeper question. Like, I am perfectly confident that there's a good answer to this question. I'm not perfectly confident (laughs) articulating the answer to that question. I'm not perfectly confident, you know, that I'm necessarily going to be able to find it quickly or that I know what it is. But as a person of faith, I'm confident there's an answer. I entered the Catholic faith taking a leap of faith that I knew as much as I could possibly know to say that I believe and profess all that Holy Catholic Church teaches and believes to be revealed by God, while knowing that there were things I did not understand yeah. That there were a million things before in my mind that I was like, I don't understand that, and I don't understand that, and I don't understand that. But because I trust that Jesus is who he says he is, I'm going to take the leap, right? Yeah. Well, praise God that right. we we say that we're saved by faith and, you know, through grace, not or, or grace through faith, not understanding. Yeah, <laughs> <You> yeah. <know? laughs> I was like, oh, we're, a lot of us are in trouble if, it, oh, if, that, were the, if that were the test. Yeah. I, I just feel like I should share this now. I think by analogy— you know, in my former work, I did a lot of, I had a lot of interactions with evangelical Protestants, fundamentalists even, and, you know, some Bible-believing Christians, many of whom quickly became friends. And so often we'd get into these kind of apologetic conversations. And to my joy 
and maybe confused disappointment, what would often happen was that my faith became contagious in that we'd answer like one or two questions and then like my the clarity that like that I love the Lord, that I reverenced scripture, suddenly the questions would start to evaporate. And my desire, like I really wanted to dive into those questions. I really wanted to answer them. I really wanted to go there. And like suddenly their 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 questions would fade into the background and the urgency would disappear because my confidence in the the Catholic Church in particular was the embodiment of the church that Jesus founded. That that was that was contagious in a way that was slightly frustrating because I'm like no 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 I really want to talk about these things I've been studying it and they're like yeah no I, it, just, it just faded away and I think I think by analogy that can happen with a young person when they find an adult that no not that has all the answers but an adult that is confident that there are answers mm-hmm. an adult that has faith that's contagious yeah youth need a clear proclamation of the gospel. Yes. If I've been walking with a teenager and I've been loving them and they trust me and I trust them, then it makes space for that clear proclamation of the gospel, a clear proclamation of saving grace, right, in Mm -hmm. their lives. And we can't shy away from this. Doubt is different from rejection. If we have allowed doubt to become rejection um, and then we keep talking about all these apologetical issues Mm -hmm. and we haven't made way for a relationship with Christ, then we're never going to get anywhere, right? So, So, and I think we see this pretty often with those kids who have already disaffiliated in particular when right. they're, they're, they're not in relationship with the Lord and they just want to talk about all the hot button issues. Well, let's yeah. just love them, invite them into a relationship with the Lord, and guess what? We're going to get to the other issues. Let's not ignore that they're issues and that, that they're going to be challenges, but I'm not going to convince anyone of anything. My heart goes out to, again, junior high catechists, our theology teachers, oh, youth ministers, you. like, I mean, anybody, you know, pastors, you know, on, on classroom visits, like my heart goes out. If you get any reaction at all, sometimes you encounter st- steep resistance. And I just want to say, it's a trap. It's like, it's a trap, Admiral Akbar. Like, don't, <laughs> don't get distracted by trying to answer all of the questions about the moral life and the teaching of the church. And why do we, because it's a 10 headed Hydra. And we have, I think the trick is like, we have actually, we have good answers, mm-hmm. rational answers that are not dependent upon, strictly speaking, they're not dependent upon supernatural faith. Uh, you think about, again, things like abortion or gender, whatever. There's lots of rational arguments. The problem is both because of development and because of the way our our society has kind of decayed, our our, our kind of rational, logical abilities in general, reason will not carry the day. So go to the heart. The conversation just gets a lot easier when someone has committed their life to Jesus Christ. It's not, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's an entirely different conversation when someone has decided Jesus is Lord. He founded a church. 
Now the conversation on what that church teaches is such a different conversation. You can make it a fun game because you can turn any question, as absurd as it is, into a presentation of the gospel. So I have this memory a couple years ago, we were at our boys' camp, um, the Camp Virtus at Veritas, and they had this uh, this kind of ask anything moment. Um, and it was supposed to be ask a priest, but there was no priest there. So they used me because apparently I know as much as a priest. I don't. Yeah, just, but, you know. but, um, but they didn't know that. <laughs> the, the kids didn't know that. But and now they, were, they do. They were like fifth to eighth graders. They're, they're, you know, which is that age we're talking about. And what was the question was something about whether, um, about whether aliens could have could experience resurrection in heaven or something. It was something absurd, and I was like, I don't, I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> and but I turned it into an opportunity to present the gospel, right? Because anytime, like, if you're going to talk about, I here's what I vaguely know about what the church teaches about aliens, which is not a lot that I know. Um, but I'm like, still waiting for a document on that, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, come on, Francis, yeah, you can do this. So just make it a game, right? Like yeah. the more like the what about dinosaurs? Well, how can you turn it into to like God yeah. created you for relationship? You can always turn it into that presentation, and it's pretty awesome, actually. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, Jesus didn't hesitate to answer a question with another question. Also, yep. But also, I will buy you candy bars if you can prove to me that you had a really cool presentation. My, we'll give you my email at the oh, end. Oh, got of this it. Right. Okay. So, yeah. right for for <laughs> listeners. So, like, if you play the game, yeah, Jody's yeah. gonna. I just made Jody's gonna game. give you the prize. Okay. So, Jody, as we wrap up here, just for a moment, I'd like you to speak to the heart of those who are a little scared. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about parents, grandparents, um, pastors, youth ministers, you know, theology teachers, campus ministers, math teachers, gym teachers. I mean, coaches, right? Those who like they they love young people, um, maybe in general, but in particular, there there are a few young people in their life, and they're scared of losing them, and they're beginning to despair that they're ever going to be able to reach them. Could you just speak to them a little bit, offer some hope and encouragement? I mean, we started with all of the bad, scary numbers. Of those 50% that walk away um, after high school, a percentage of them, and I, I will have to look up a statistic on this, but percentage of those kids do come back <laughs> mm -hmm. um, in later years. So there, the loss is not a like a one hundred percent loss. What makes them come back, right? Like where where is it that helps them to come back? Sometimes it's because they they marry in the church or they have kids that are baptized and and those sorts of things. But for a lot of people, it's because there's always been a relationship of trust to the church, right? So it's probably you, <laughs> whoever's listening to this podcast, it's probably you continuing to walk with them, continuing to love them. So I think about my own nephew as mm -hmm. an example of a 19-year-old who uh, I love very, very deeply um, and has um, ultimately decided that he is not in a relationship with the Lord um, and has and has told us that very, very openly. And he's got some kind of odd religious ideas and living a pretty immoral lifestyle. And and I'm, I recognize that the best thing I can do right now is just to love him and not make every conversation about that <laughs> mm -hmm. because I will just chase him away if I make every conversation about the faith. Um I can still invite him to go to the movies and I can still invite him over to dinner and I can still just 
love him in his absurdity and ridiculousness because he's a crazy funny kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can play Monopoly with him and I can be there. And then we have beautiful moments like we did at Easter when he tells me that that I'm the person who knows him best and that he trusts Mm. the most, even though he knows without a doubt (laughs) that I'm Catholic and that I don't agree with his faith decisions, right? Um, And it's just because um, I love him. And so there's this line of trust there that I'm hoping and praying bears fruit in the long run. And, And that's where my hope rests. And that's and I've just given that to the Lord. Judy, that's that's beautiful. I'd, I'd only add to that. I think the fear mm-hmm. really is something you have to get a handle on. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as a caring adult, fear ends up doing two really uh, uh, damaging things for relationships. It makes us shrill so that what we say uh, gets a little too sharp and a little too angsty. And it also tends to make us withdraw. When we're afraid, we, we don't want to go there. You know, we, I, I don't like being upset uh, in a conversation. I don't like feeling stupid and whatever. And, and the, the ability to bring that fear to the Lord and let the Lord replace that fear with faith and hope and to renew our love for those young people Boy, that sounds like a really basic answer. But again and again, in my own experience as a parent uh, and and as a professional um, minister, it's the elimination of that fear and letting the Lord fill that with faith, hope, and love that makes all the difference. Jody, I just want to highlight some some resources here. Mm-hmm. There's so many things. Normally, we don't go off on on this for, but let's just highlight a, a couple of resources. We're gonna post these in the show notes. Um, let's start off. You referenced Sticky Faith. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, this is um, out of the Fuller Institute that is connected with Fuller University in California. And they, they've they got a couple of books, but they've also got a website with some research and, mm-hmm. and just resources for youth ministry, both for people who are in professional youth ministry and for parents on how yeah. do you make faith stick. It's a non-denominational resource, but it, it, it seems to work well on both the Catholic and the Protestant front. Yeah, great resource. Kara Powell. It's the author, great, great place to get started. Sticky faith. Um, I'll, I'll add one. Uh, the Axis um, podcast and just a, it's a whole platform full of resources. Um, it's spelled A X I S, just like the Evil Empire. Only they're good. Um, they're actually really good. Again, non-denominational. They provide fantastic resources for parents and other caring adults to help mentor young people, help, help walk with them in faith. Their weekly culture email helps me have conversations with teenagers about what's going on in the world. Yeah, they have <laughs> these things called uh, parent guides that walk through a particular topic like gender, suicide, drugs, dating, uh, Snapchat, any, I mean, just, uh, there's you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of short articles that really walk through uh, an orientation. You're like, I don't know what this is, but I probably should. Okay. But they'll walk through that for you. And then it gives, um, really a, a beautiful Christian perspective, uh, on, on then how, as a, as a caring adult to engage with the young person, they have, uh, videos on, that are conversation kits, they call them designed to start a conversation. And then, like you said, they have this, uh, weekly email and podcast called the culture translator, where they go through the kind of pop culture issues of the day 
and offer insight as to uh, how you might start a conversation with a young person. For anyone who's interested in starting some youth ministry efforts at their parish, I would recommend um, Discipleship Focused Youth Ministry mm-hmm. by Eric Gallagher. He's book. Uh, yep. Yep. It's a book. Um, but also he's got on, on his website. So Eric Gallagher, he is the new director of mission engagement in the Diocese of Sioux Falls. He's worked with youth ministry for a number of years um, and, and a kind of a friend of the diocese here of, of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, good man. Good, good man. Um, he has, so this resource, it's a book that is just a really good starter. Um, and then also has some training on his website for youth leaders and their teams, because mm-hmm. you can't do youth ministry alone if that yes. we haven't gotten that across it by this point, um, <laughs> that that you should be doing this within a team and um, and with other people. So um, some good resources on, on his website that are connected to that book. Uh, I'll throw in again, back to like kind of nerd alert, the going, going, gone study from St. Mary's Press. And I'll, I'll suggest the going, going, gone study you referenced uh, earlier, uh, St. Mary's Press put out and the Think Orange podcast, um, kind of venturing into the religious, religious education sphere. Uh, Think Orange, again, not a specifically Catholic resource, but they are intentionally designing the conversations, uh, methodologies where the church, yellow, and the family, red, can partner together for the sake of the faith of young people. So that's their Think Orange. Uh, great resource. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And the last thing I'd mention is um, Alpha and Y Disciple, which is a youth ministry small group um, model. They've partnered together for a series of podcasts. There's eight of them called Youth Ministry Mindset um, with some videos, and um, which is kind of the Alpha model. Both Alpha and, and Y Disciple do videos as, as kind of their method of, of evangelization and catechesis. We'll actually over the summer be uh, having Jody Meyer, who's been on this podcast, is going to be helping mentor some of our youth ministers here in the Archdiocese on Fridays during lunch. They're going to be listening to the podcast, doing some conversation, um, and just getting to enter into some discussion in this post-pandemic world, what youth ministry looks like. But you can also listen to that podcast from home. Fantastic. And one others, there, there's a resource, Jody, that you really were kind of the, the chief architect of assembling and putting together uh, principles of religious education, which uh, of course talks about some principles and some methodologies. Again, particular to religious education, but so many of them transfer uh, to the slightly older, you know, youth ministry uh, category. Um, and we'll, we'll put that up there as well. That's a great resource. So Jody, thank you for being with us. Thanks for everything you do. Um, listeners, if, if this has been a encouragement and inspiration, if it's slightly frustrating and you want to continue the conversation, like we would love to hear from you. And if you think this would be a blessing, please share this with someone. You can find all the links to these resources, the show notes on equip.archomaha.org. Uh, you can subscribe there to the blog, and so you'll get notified every time we drop a new episode of the podcast. Again, you'll get access to the show notes, uh, other resources, blogs that we we put up there. Um, and of course, um, you're probably already subscribed, but you can uh, find, find us, uh, EquipCast, all one word, on all the major platforms. So thank you, Jody, for being with us. Thanks for what you do. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great one. Bye.